Well, good morning, everyone. How's that? If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 28 this morning, verses 18 through 20. I just want to start off by saying how much of a privilege it is to uh, be able to bring God's Word to you this morning. I'm so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for the kindness and the grace that you've shown my wife and I since we've gotten here. We have thoroughly enjoyed every minute of being in Florida. Now, some of y'all are thinking, well, we're friends with you on Facebook. We know how much y'all are enjoying Florida. You're in Disney World every weekend. There's a little bit of truth to that. I'm not going to deny it. We have been enjoying Disney World. We are very much fans of Disney World. But the reason I bring that up is because I think that the magic that Disney World is just so famous for is actually famous because it appeals to the things that we desire in our life. Don't believe me? Let me prove it to you. Every single movie that Disney has ever put out has the same premise. Live an epic journey, have a happily ever after. The end. Every single Disney movie is that. And I believe that that is what we deeply want for our lives. Who doesn't want to live a life of purpose, to live a journey with meaning, and in the end, to lay down your head and think, I lived a meaningful life. I have my happy ending. I want to pose a question to you, though. What happens when that happily ever after, or our version of happily ever after, doesn't necessarily match up with what the Bible says is a happily ever after? What happens when we lay our heads down to enter into the kingdom and we start thinking this lingering question, did I waste my life? You see, church family, if we're going to find meaning and purpose in life, we're not going to find it in Disney movies, though they may appeal to it. We're not going to find it in TV shows. We're not going to find it on social media. We're not going to find it in what our neighbors do or our friends do. We are going to find purpose and meaning in the Word of God alone. And so, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Darren shared with us, and even this morning, that we find meaning and purpose in life when we live our lives according to the glory of God. That we would live a life that would bring Him glory and honor and praise. But what does that look like for me? What kind of life do I have to live in order to bring God glory? Well, this morning I want to share to you a passage of how you can live your life to the glory of God in all of the earth. So if you're able, please stand in honor of reading God's Word. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You may be seated. It's often been said that last words are lasting words. That last words have this, this meaning that with someone's last breath, they utter some profound truth just before they die. 
Now, the last words of Jesus actually aren't the last words of a dying man, but the last words of a risen man. Of a man who had conquered sin and death. Of a man whose mission was to redeem humanity back to himself. Of a man who was God himself in the flesh. And though these words were not spoken from a dying man, they were spoken from a God-man that conquered death. If last words are to have meaning, these last words are to have the most meaning because these are not from a man who was defeated, but a man that was victorious. The last words that Jesus spoke to His disciples are these, Go and make disciples of all nations. They were to be the final marching orders of Jesus' disciples to the end of the age, as he would say. This is what they were to do to occupy themselves until Jesus would return. And notice, the end of the age has not come yet. This is a continual command that is continuing even for us today. As we walk through what the DNA of First Baptist Church of Ocala is, surely we would want the DNA of this church to match up with what Jesus is saying here that we would be a church that would value global disciple-making. And so the question this morning is, how can you live a life with purpose that glorifies God in global disciple-making? I think there's three things that we need to recognize in the Great Commission that are uh, very helpful for us to recognize how we should seek to participate in God's mission, not just our mission, God's mission, of global disciple-making. That first one is this, that disciples acknowledge the authority of Jesus. Disciples acknowledge the authority of Jesus. Jesus starts off by saying in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How else would we define authority other than the right to rule and to reign, to command, to have power? Parents, you have authority over your children. You get to tell them what they can and cannot do, but it's for their good. Teachers have authority over their classroom. They do so for the betterment of their students so that they can succeed in life. A military general has authority over his unit so that they can succeed in their mission. And a king has authority over his servants and his kingdom. What Jesus is saying here is He is clearly God and all authority in heaven and on earth is His. He has authority over all spiritual realms. This is to say that He has power over the angels but also over demons. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4 calls Satan the ruler of this world but yet Christ is saying here, I have authority even over Him. He also has authority all over earthly realms. Proverbs 21.1 says this, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he pleases. Meaning every political power in the world must submit to Christ's authority in the end. Even the disciples would witness Jesus' authority when he would calm the winds and uh, waves uh, while they were on the water, and they would look at him and say, what sort of man is this, that even the wind and waves obey him? 
You see, Jesus has authority over everything that exists. And what he's doing here is he's grounding the basis of what he's about to tell the disciples in that authority. If you look at verse 19, it says, Go therefore. That therefore meaning that everything that I'm about to tell you first needs to be situated in the fact that I have all authority over everything. And this authority has amazing implications for us. First, it means that Christ's authority is the basis for our obedience, church. He is worthy to submit all of us to Him. Oftentimes, it's difficult for us because we, in our sinful state, want to kick against that, right? Everything in us says, I want to live my life according to the way that I see fit. We even live in a culture that says, if you start imposing on my freedoms and how I want to live my life, I'm going to cancel you. And our culture is painting a picture for us right now of what it means to live a good life. And that good life oftentimes does not have the authority and kingship of Jesus involved in it. We too often want to build up our own kingdom instead of His kingdom. And what this authority tells us, church, is that we were bought with a price. If you're a Christian, the things that you own, the stuff that you have, the money that you have, your time, your talents, your treasures, they all belong to King Jesus. And so we are to use those things to advance not our kingdom, but His kingdom. Now, there's a second implication that's really sweet. If we submit to Christ's authority and follow His command, we have the privilege of knowing that He will not lose. Put it this way, if all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, no matter how overwhelming the odds may be, Jesus is going to be victorious in the end. I don't think I have to remind you this, but we are facing some overwhelming odds right now. I deal with students every day, and every day I see how the world is pressing in on them to give up on their faith. Every day I see a new news article about how some country overseas is forbidding the spreading of the gospel. Every day I'm reminded that we have loved ones that we deeply care about that are obstinate to the gospel. Church, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And He will not be stopped. Therefore, no matter how difficult the road may get, no matter how big the obstacles may seem, we know that Jesus is working in ways that you and I could never imagine. And because all authority has been given to Him, we ought to be willing to follow Him in whatever He commands us to do. And so therefore, disciples not only acknowledge the authority of Jesus, disciples obeyed the commands of Jesus. Look at verse 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Over 
years of hearing the Great Commission taught, what is most striking to me, um, I have no doubt that you all are familiar with this passage, right? What's most striking to me is how quickly we pick up on the word go, but how quickly we also forget the words make disciples. This has primarily been taught as a command to evangelize, and though we need to go and share the gospel in order for this to happen, the end goal is not simply to evangelize the world. The end goal is that the disciples here are given a mission of global disciple-making. And this small change makes a huge difference, church, because it means our purpose is not just to create converts. We're after disciples, not decisions. We want people who worship the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. We want people to actually obey Christ's commands. And we see this more evident when we look at how this command starts to break down. Yes, we see that He tells them to go. But this going is not a passive going, it's an active going. This movement must happen in order for this command to be carried out. It's obedience in action. You see, church, if Christ calls His disciples to go, that means we're not asking the question, well, should I go, but rather, where should I go? It's not a concern of rather if, but where. This is not something just for missionaries and pastors. This is for us as a church. This is why Paul would say in Ephesians 4 that God gave the apostles and the prophets and teachers and preachers so that the church would be equipped for the ministry. We all are commanded to go and make disciples. So the question is where? And he tells them of all nations. Now, nations is not our understanding of a nation like America would be, but rather a people group. It's a group of people that have a similar identity with one another. This could be through language. It could be through geographical location. It could be through religion or worldview or whatever it may be. They identify with one another. Meaning, this is not just a simple command to make sure that every nation knows about Jesus. This is a command to take the gospel to all peoples. And this has been God's plan all along. Think of Genesis 1, chapter 1. God created man and women in His image to reflect His glory, and then He tells them, hey, be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth and exercise dominion over it. Therefore, from the very beginning of the Bible, God's purpose was creating man to reflect His glory and to worship Him rightly all over the world. The Great Commission is just Him reclaiming that back from a broken and sinful people. Now, when you leave these doors, we are not going to have plane tickets for you to pick up. We're not saying, hey, the command is to go make disciples of all nations. You need to go to the the quickest uh, place that you can book a ticket and get on a plane and go somewhere. This does mean that we as a church, though, are passionate about taking the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. That we are to pray diligently for the unreached people groups who have no access to the gospel, but yet are dying in their sin. 
that we are to give generously to church planning and to missionaries to take the gospel over there. And while they take the gospel to the nations, we here are discipling people. Ocala would have been the ends of the earth to the disciples. How, how crazy would it be for us to say, oh yes, we're taking the gospel to the nations, but we're not actually taking the gospel and making disciples in Ocala, Florida. Now, how are we to do this? Jesus tells us, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and to teach them all I have commanded you. These two commands, I think, go in tandem of how the disciples were to carry out the Great Commission. First, they were to go. They were to tell people of the good news of Jesus, that He had came to die for, in their place, to take their punishment, and that He was making a way for them to be reconciled back to God, for them to have a relationship with God again, and that they would no longer have to have the penalty of death and sin and eternal wrath, but rather that they could have eternal life with Him. The disciples were to go and tell them that and then to baptize them into a local body. Baptism just being an outward sign of that inward reality that they had trusted in Christ. That the old them had died and that a new them had been raised to walk in new life. And how else are they going to live out this new life if we don't teach them all the commands of Christ and to observe them? Now it's important to note here, church, that Jesus does not say, teach them to know all that I commanded. Look at it. It says, teach them to observe all that I commanded. The word observe really just means obey. Meaning... Jesus doesn't want His disciples to just give knowledge. He wants them to teach other people to obey Jesus. You see, Jesus doesn't desire knowledge dissemination. Jesus desires life transformation. If the Great Commission is to be fulfilled, and that the creation mandate was to be fulfilled, the whole earth must be covered in people who know and love and obey Jesus. They need to be worshipers of Him. Meaning, church, if we put all of this together, I believe that the most foundational element to the Great Commission and us carrying out the Great Commission means that we first must be disciples if we are going to make disciples. You see, the Great Commission continues in our life in every aspect until we learn to love and obey Jesus in every part of our life. And as we do that, and by the way, I say love because John 14, 15 says this, If you love me, you will keep my commands. And so, obedience and love going in tandem with one another, as we begin to work on our own discipleship, as we take seriously Christ's command to observe everything that He has done for us, we will begin to actually follow Christ's commands, which would be to love our neighbor as ourselves, the great commandment, and to make disciples the great commission. Meaning, if we want to start anywhere, church, we have to start here. 
We have to start with us. We have to take seriously our own discipleship if we are going to take and make disciples of all nations. So that the gospel would move out further and further, transforming lives. That we would make disciples that too would love and obey Him so that Habakkuk 2.14 would be a reality. That the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Now, some of you might hear that and think, that's a very difficult command. It's a very difficult pill to swallow. I don't know if, if I'm capable of doing that. If so, I want you to listen to what Jesus says next. Not only did disciples acknowledge the authority of Jesus' church, Not only do disciples obey the commands of Jesus' church, but disciples behold the promise of Jesus. Jesus says to them, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus encourages His disciples to carry out this very command, not because of what they are capable of, but because of what He is capable of. You see, if I was a disciple, I know myself, I would be sitting there looking, going, Jesus, I, I hear you, but, but I don't know if I completely understand you because I don't know if you, if you know who I am, and, and I don't really think that I can change the world, and I, I don't really know how I'm ever going to really make disciples. Interesting enough, in Exodus chapter 3, God tells Moses to do something similar. He, he tells them to, uh, or tells Moses to, Uh, go to Pharaoh and tell uh, Pharaoh that the Israelites need to leave Egypt. And Moses expresses what we kind of feel when we hear the Great Commission. He says, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I that I should go and make disciples? What's amazing, church, is how God responds to Moses. He never actually answers Moses' question. He doesn't say, well, Moses, you're very qualified. You grew up in Pharaoh's household. You know the language. You know the gods there. You you know the people. I, I, I formed you for this purpose. He doesn't say any of that. He says, I will be with you. Meaning it was never about who Moses was. It's never about who the disciples were. It's not about who we are, church. It's about who God is and how He has authority over all creation. Jesus is saying, I will enable you. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to give you wisdom. I will be with you. And the most beautiful part, church, is this presence that Jesus is offering is not something we have to wait for. His promise is not one of a future reality, but of a present reality. He says, I am emphatically with you. Meaning, it's not just on your good days. It's not just on most days. It's not just on days that you feel like He is there. He says, I am with you. 
He is with us through His abiding presence of His Holy Spirit, which, let me remind you, is the same Spirit that rose the dead. It's the same Spirit that made blind eyes see. It's the same Spirit that made deaf ears hear. It's the same Spirit that made lame people walk. It's the same Spirit that lives within you. And He is enabling you to carry out His commands. I'll be honest, I struggled all week with with this sermon because I was thinking through all of these things and I thought to myself, well, how, how can I convince them that Jesus has authority over all things? How can I convince them that we should obey all of Jesus' commands? How can I convince them that Jesus' presence is with them? But the reality, church, is I can never do any of those things because Jesus has to do those things in your heart. Jesus has to do a miraculous work in us for anything to happen. He's just calling us, church, to be faithful, to go, and to make disciples. Honestly, it's going to take a work of His Holy Spirit to carry out His commands. Everything that we do, church, is dependent on His presence, which is why He says... Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Listen, church, I think we should be intimidated by the scope of the Great Commission. I think we should be intimidated that we are to go unto all nations and make disciples. Because only Jesus could do such a thing. It's our job to be faithful. Listen, the Great Commission may be calling you to just place your faith in Jesus. You might not know who Jesus is. You might have come in here saying, what is all this mess about going and making disciples? I don't even know Jesus. The Great Commission might be calling you to place your faith in Him and to take your first act of obedience of walking with Him through baptism. It might be trusting and repenting of your sin and trusting in Him, of trusting in His death, burial, and resurrection that He died in your place to take away your sins so that you could have a relationship with Him. The Great Commission might be calling you to make disciples in your home. Parents, I'm sure you understand this, but let me remind you, just as much of, the great, or of, of Christ's commands are caught as much as they are taught. What you are doing in your household makes a difference. The things that you show worth to your kids are taking note of. Maybe the Great Commission is not calling you to go anywhere but the living room to be a Christ-like example to your students and to your kids. Maybe the Great Commission is calling you to serve the church. I've only been here a couple months, church, but I have met so many godly people. Maybe the Great Commission is calling you to say, I need to lay down my time, my talents, and my treasures and serve God in the local church. That I need to make disciples in the children's ministry. I need to make disciples in the student ministry. Or maybe even I need to become a community group leader. To which I would say, come talk to me or Pastor BJ, and we would love to have that conversation with you. The Great Commission may be calling you to make disciples at your work or students at your school. You don't have to be within these walls to make disciples. We are to go and make disciples. 
Some of you may just need to go to work or to go to school and live out a Christ-like life there and make disciples there. Some of you may even have the call to go overseas to, to feel the weight and the reality that people are dying without any access to the gospel. Maybe the Great Commission is calling you to go on a mission trip or to fund missionaries or maybe even become a missionary yourself and to give your life for the sake of the gospel. Regardless of what it may be, church, the Great Commission is no doubt an overwhelming task, but it is our task. It is the means by which Jesus has said that He is going to reach this world. A global mission to make God-glorifying, Jesus-obeying, Spirit-filled worshipers. It's going to demand all of us to disciple all people by teaching them all that Jesus commanded for all our days so that God would be glorified in all the earth. Why? Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. But let me tell you, church, it will all be worth it because He rules and He reigns and we have an eternal kingdom that we can be a part of. So that on that faithful day, like Revelation 7, 9, and 10 says, that we will behold a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Church family, I don't know where God is calling you to go. I do know He is calling you to go. Would you begin to prayerfully consider how you can participate in God's global mission to make disciples? Church, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy that you show us every day. God, that, that though we may have sinned against you, you made a way for us to be reconciled with you. You made a way for us to have a relationship with you. And you pursue us. That you desire a world full of worship. And that you would use weak vessels like us to make your glory known. God, I pray for our church. I pray that we would consider how we can best participate in your mission to make disciples of all the earth. God, I pray that through your spirit, you would empower us to go and make disciples. That you would, by your spirit, empower us to carry out all that you have commanded us. And we would do it because we love you. God, I'm so thankful for this church. I pray that you would move us for your glory's sake. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.